Father. We stand in your presence this afternoon, Father. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified. That you begin to be glorified in and through us, Father. Lord Jesus, we earnestly desire and we hunger that we would be a people that glorify your name. Lord Jesus, begin to stir us, Lord, in the spirit. Begin to raise us up in the spirit. Lord, we're hungering for more of you this afternoon. We desire more of you. Lord, we ask that you pour out your spirit here in this place, Lord. You pour out your spirit upon us today, Lord Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So to pour out your presence here on our midst, Lord God. Lord God, start to wash away the things that are of our own motivation. Start to wash away the things that are holding us back from pursuing you. And Lord Jesus, cause us to pursue you with all of our hearts. Father, we begin to draw near to you in our hearts, Lord. We begin to draw near to you in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Lord, we begin to stir our hearts with gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are and what you're doing in our lives, Lord. And Lord, we don't want to be those that come to grumble, Lord, but rather we come to praise. Lord, where there is a complaint in our heart, Lord Jesus, we lay down that complaint where we're asking those questions, God, where, you are, where are you in this situation? Lord, we begin to instead thank you that you are the God of the situation. And Lord, we begin to press in by faith and thank you, Lord, that you are the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you'd begin to break in to our situations by your spirit, Lord, that you'd begin to stir us by your spirit and take us up to another level in you, Father. Lord, as we press in, as we hunger for more of you, we ask that you would begin to wash away the, the cursing on our life, the generations that have gone before that have left us in a place where we don't yet know you in a meaningful way or where our knowledge of you is reduced. Father, instead we ask, Lord God, that you'd pour out your grace in, our, in this place. You'd pour out a revelation of you that would transform our hearts, that would transform our minds, that would cause us to enter deeper into who we are in you. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that you would wash away the the cultural things. You would wash away our preconceptions that hinder us from receiving from your kingdom, that hinder us from receiving from the kingdom of heaven. Lord, where we get lost in cultural practice, Lord, and the things of society, Lord God. And Lord, our, our hearts become dull towards you. Lord, we ask that you'd wash that away. And in exchange, Father, you give us hearts of passion, hearts on fire for you, and that we would live according to your kingdom culture. We would live according to your ways. Lord, we ask for your new spirit and your new heart within us. Lord, we ask that you begin to fill us with the passion and priority of heaven, Lord God, that to love with a passion, to love others with a passion, to love you with the passion of our hearts. Lord, that you begin to use us to release your power in the earth, Lord God, that you begin to use us to be a people that without compromise pursue Jesus without restriction, pursue Jesus. Lord God, that you would raise us up to be the people that you're calling us to be, Father. And Lord, we shake off the, the stress and the strain. We sh shake off the flesh. We remind you, flesh, that you are dead and buried in the waters of baptism, and we are alive in the Spirit. And Lord, we thank you, Father, for your goodness towards us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that even now, by your Spirit, you begin to stir us, Lord God. You begin to set a fire in our bellies and a fire in our hearts, Lord. Lord, that we would pursue you with everything that we are, Father. 
Lord Jesus, there's nothing, 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 nothing that deserves to stand in the way of who you are in our lives. Lord, help us to lay aside all of those things that are holding us back. And Lord, to pursue you with everything that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. Fantastic. Why don't you uh, take your seats? Thank you so much to the band for ministering to us today. It's great to have you guys with us. I want to encourage you right from the very beginning of today's message. I really believe that God wants to do something deep in our hearts. Um, and I believe that this can be a life-transforming opportunity for you. Um, and so I want to strongly encourage you to begin to press into God where you are, begin to pray in tongues under your breath, begin to press in and seek God under your breath in the, in the time that we're spending together, and try not to get distracted. Amen. I'm sure there will be plenty of opportunity to be distracted on a day like this, but it's up to you to keep focused on what the Lord wants to do. We are starting a new series today in the Revival Times that has the information just on the th page number three, Drawing Near to God, the Heart of the Spiritual Disciplines. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you like fasting? Some people. How many of you will fast even though you don't like it? Okay, that's better. <laughs> Let's all be honest. Fasting is a little bit of a challenge. I do enjoy food, so fasting has to be led by the Holy Spirit for me. Amen. Fasting is one of a series of things that we um, call the spiritual disciplines, and included amongst the spiritual disciplines are such things as prayer, as worship, as study of the Word, the things that we're more acquainted with, then things like fellowship, communion together, then things like sexual purity belong under the, t the context of uh, spiritual disciplines, how you handle your money, stewardship, living sacrificially, living frugally. We're going to cover all of those things. Going into times of solitude, remember that Jesus spent a lot of time up on the mountain himself praying, spending time in solitude, how we begin to come together as a people and, and cherish God's gift to us and fellowship and, and working together and walking together in relationship. These are all parts of spiritual disciplines. And basically, in this series, what we're going to seek to do is link for you the practice of spiritual disciplines very much with the practice of God's presence. We know that we are able to move and do these spiritual disciplines in and of themselves, yet if they're not linked to the presence of God or to God's worship, then they simply become religious practice as opposed to practical experience or ways of getting to know God. An example is fasting. Now, how many of you, if you're honest, would say that although we're supposed to replace mealtimes with prayer, we just concentrate so much on fasting that we forget to pray? I've been there. I've done that. So I'm sure many of us would be able to recognize that. Or we, we focus on, on making sure that we get our alone time, but instead of spending the time alone in prayer and studying the Word, we're spending the time working through our to-do list, get taking care of admin. You know how it goes. And it can become that these spiritual disciplines become a hindrance to our walk of faith, or they can actually supercharge our walk of faith. Those are the kind of things that we want to unpack and unravel during this series. Today, we're going to begin to lay a groundwork for that in drawing near to God. And I would like for our hearts to be, within the context of this series, the pursuit of God, desiring to know God more. I would love it if by the end of the series, we ask the question, do you know God more now that we're six weeks later and everybody say yes? But not just say it because we have to say it, but say it because we actually have gone deeper with God. That would be my heart for this time together. And we know that there is a God in heaven who has demonstrated his love to us in Christ, but how do we know that God in heaven personally as our Father, 
That is the real question that we're going to be tackling today. The first point that I want to begin with as we consider the context, we are, as a church, believing God for more of who He is, going deeper with Him. A prophetic word has come to us to believe that God is going to show up in a deeper way, and Colin has very specifically been saying that it'll be about a deep work in our hearts and in our lives. Point one that I want to raise for you is that we must prepare for the coming of the Lord. We must prepare for the coming of the Lord. We must prepare for the coming of the Lord. Now, there are many church traditions where people have declared that Jesus is coming soon. So let's forget everything and, and wait for him to come, and then five years come and Jesus doesn't show up. Ten years come, Jesus doesn't show up. Fifty years come, Jesus doesn't show up. And so a, a dampening of the passion to pursue Christ comes into the life of that tradition and, and even gets spread to us. We can hear so often that Jesus is coming that we forget that we should intentionally be pursuing him just as much as expecting him to show up. And there has to be a preparation that goes on in our hearts. Jesus might or might not come in our lifetime, but he's wanting to manifest himself today in and through you so that people around you can get to know him. Amen? Do you understand the difference? We believe that he is physically coming, he is a soon coming king, he is going to return to earth, he is going to manifest his glory, all of us are going to see him physically. But until that point in time, he is coming through his church, he is being revealed through his church. And we want to be people that are ready, pressing in for that as much today as we are on the day that he appears physically. I want to read to you from Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13, as we begin to prepare our own hearts for the coming of the Lord today. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some, oil, some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. It's a challenging passage, a challenging verse because it begins to speak to us today. Let me show you how. To begin to believe God and enter into the pursuit of God, there has to be a sowing which happens in our life today. And the challenge of this passage for us is to not just buy one measure of oil and wait for that measure of oil to run out. What does this mean to us today? How many of us know what it's like to come on a Sunday and get a portion of oil from the Lord, the Holy Spirit poured out in our lives. And we take that portion and we run as fast as we can into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to see how far we can get on the one portion of oil, hoping that next Sunday we can get another portion. Most of us find that by Monday we're done. Amen. And we need a fresh portion on the Monday and a fresh portion on the Tuesday. 
if we want to take this in the context of the wider view of our lives, if we fail to put in place a position of heart where we're constantly replenishing the oil of the Spirit, do you know what happens? We begin to, this is my Christian life, this is established, let me focus on everything else. Let me focus on my dreams for a career. Let me focus on getting my house. Let me focus on planning a wedding. Let me focus on my relationship. Let me focus on getting promoted. All of this kind of stuff. Let me focus on all of this stuff. And then something happens in that situation and suddenly we're like, oh my God, I need God. And we turn back to the flourishing relationship with God that is not so flourishing anymore. And then we have to spend time pressing into God and spend time hungering after more of God and spend time redeveloping that relationship with Him. You see, the attitude that we just push our relationship with God and let it keep going while we take care of everything else and coming to tend to it on occasion is very, very foolish. Because what happens when things begin to happen in the world and we know that Jesus could be coming in the next week or, or month? when the signs that are spoken of in Scripture begin to happen in such intensity that we know that it could be happening within a month or within five years or within ten. Oh, you know what? I'm going to work tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to get on fire for God. Tomorrow I'm going to get passionate about the things of God. Tomorrow is when I'm going to stock the oil for my lamp, but today, today I'm going to focus on everything else. There has to be a preparation in our hearts that on a daily basis, or at least multiple times in a week, we are coming back to the Lord to draw from His Spirit, to draw from His presence. In Zechariah 4, there's an image, a prophetic image, which we would do well to read through and consider of a, a tree which stands by a massive bowl and oil is dripping from the tree, captured by the boil, bowl and then funneled through pipes to fuel a lamp. And it, it signifies a constant prophetic flow of the Spirit into our lives as we are the bowl receiving the oil, carrying that oil to the place of fire where it's needed. That's what God wants our lives and our hearts to be like. And the preparation is in being somebody that's available for the flow of the Spirit on a regular basis, being available to receive and draw on the presence of God on a regular basis. There are ways for you to live full of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to live full of the Holy Spirit? Don't get distracted. Do you want to live full of the Holy Spirit? Good. Because the ways that you live full of the Spirit are what we're going to be talking about today. Preaching the gospel. That's how you get full of the Spirit. Leaning on God in your circumstances. That's how you get full of the Spirit. Moving in the Spirit of God. That's how you get full of the Spirit. God is calling us to live full of His Holy Spirit. We need to prepare His way in our hearts. Point number two, what does it mean to actually know the Father? If we're going to talk about knowing the Father, discovering more of your Father, what does that actually mean? First, I want to suggest to you that the, the way that we enter into that is through God's grace. We have a very strong emphasis on the grace of God here in Kensington Temple, but what God's grace is this, it's a demonstration, the active demonstration of His love for you being revealed on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment -moment basis. First, it's revealed most majorly for all of us in the forgiveness of our sin. All of our sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven in Christ. That is the foundation stone of our entry into the new life that God has prepared for us. He's forgiven us. Second, He's given us the gift of eternal life. Not the gift of eternal boredom. 
not the gift of eternal existence, not the gift of eternal hope that is constantly deferred, one day God is going to meet me, but until that point in time, I'm going to live depressed. God has prepared for us a gift of eternal life. Amen? How many of you want to live forever? Some of you. Some of you can't wait for the end. (laughs) But it's going to be awesome when we get to be in heaven. More than that, between now and that place when we enter into heaven, He has given us the supernatural life to live. A supernatural expression of His power in the earth with healing, with signs and wonders, with words of wisdom, words of knowledge that we need to break through in this situation and see God's will done in our life. You see, it's very easy for us to live day to day and get from A to B, but find that B is really the same place as A just later. But God wants us to get from A to B to C to D, so when we look back at point D, we say God has done great things, and we go on from D to E to F to G to H, and we never say we're back at A again because now we're H and on our way to Z. You know what I'm talking about. God wants us to live a progressive supernatural life, and that comes very nicely into the the point that I want to minister to us very shortly on point three. But ultimately, these are experiences, but the main point is to know God as our Father. God's grace is revealed. All of these other things, the gifts of eternal life, freedom from sin, the supernatural life, all of that is fantastic, but it's all pointing towards one your Father. He's calling us to a restoration of relationship with Him, a restoration with our Creator, and it brings about a a powerful transformation. You see, all of us need this, to know God as our Father. All of us need this because internally, spiritually, something is going on which requires and cries out for and earnestly desires the knowledge that God in heaven is our Father. When we know God is our Father, we know that in the toughest storms, we are safe. When God is our Father, when everything is raging against us, we can have peace. When our situation and circumstance looks impossible, He has knowledge and wisdom for us to get through that situation. Knowing God as our Father gives us a place of belonging. It gives us a knowledge of our purpose, our destiny. It gives us a knowledge that in spite of how messy we are, there's a God in heaven who loves us and desires to pour out His goodness on us. If God is our Father and knowing God as our Father will mean that whenever we face the most difficult circumstances and looking around wondering who is standing up for us, the God of heaven is standing up for us. The God of heaven is fighting on our behalf. That is a revelation of God's grace, to know Him as your Father. The second is knowing Him as your Father to begin to understand why He does what He does. And most people have no clue why God does what He does. A lot of us from a place of immaturity will say, I don't know what you think you're doing, God, but I don't like it. Have any of you ever said that? God, I I just don't like this situation. What are you doing to me? You know, you're supposed to be blessing me and you're supposed to be on my side and you're supposed to be favoring me, but you just seem to be sending all of those people, you know those people, those people that we don't really want to meet on a good day, let alone a bad day, but they seem to be hanging out with us all the time, telling us how bad things are going and telling us how we're messing up so much. We know we're messing up. God, why have you put them in my life? God, why are you not giving me my job? God, why are you not providing my husband or wife? God, why are you not giving me my place to live where I can settle? I don't know what you're doing, and I just don't like it. 
But as we begin to know Him as our Father, a knowledge begins to come out of us of understanding why God does what He does. Every single trial and tribulation that you face has within it the opportunity for you to grow to become more Christ-like. It's not that the circumstances are there to punish you, but that in the circumstances that have been allowed, that God has permitted, maybe because of your sin, maybe as a consequence of the decisions and actions that you've taken, those things might be happening to you, but within those trials and tribulations, there is the opportunity for you to become more Christ-like. That's why God allows it, because He believes that you actually will become more Christ-like. He believes that you actually will become more like He has created you to be. And so His ways, though mysterious, have a purpose. God doesn't do crazy stuff just because it's a whim and He feels like it, okay? God allows things so that we can become more like He calls us to be. And actually, that is the most precious thing. Not that you have the loaded bank account, not that you have the successful career that you can brag about to other people, but rather that when God sees you, He says, that person has become who I've called them to be. They've gone through the trial. They've gone through the tribulation. And in Peter, it speaks of such things as having joy when you're in those difficult times. How many of us would like to go and have a little bit more joy in the difficult times? Seems very, very elusive. God's grace and God's ways. That is the pursuit of our passion with Him, to know God and to know why He does what He does so that we can become more like Him. But all of this becomes a focal point on one issue. Do we know that we're sons of God? Do we know that we're daughters of God or not? A son or a daughter of God will protect what God gives them. A son or daughter of God will cherish and value what God gives them. Now I'm going to go into a passage and a, 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 a take on the prodigal son with us today. And I want you to understand from the start that I'm saying everything that I say today as a loving brother, not as a angry pastor or preacher. That's never my intent if I come across like that. But I'm saying what I'm saying as a loving brother, because we need to hear it. In Luke 15, verse 11 through 32, we read the story of a son. A son who goes up to his father and says, Dad, basically I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I want the money you owe me. I want my 50%. And I want to just go be able to spend it as I will. And he does so. We all know the story very well. He does so. He spends it on women. He spends it on drink. He spends it on drugs if they were available. Um, he ends up living in a pigsty, and he can't even eat the food that the pigs are eating. And he comes to his senses, and he remembers his father, and he returns to his father. And his father falls on him with love. The reason I can talk about this is because I've been in the pigsty as well. I know what it's like. And it's not a nice place for you to go if you've not been there yet. The prodigal son was a son born into a house of prosperity. He was under the blessing of his father. All of the abundance of his father was at his hands. All he needed to do was ask. Remember Jesus' exhortation, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For your father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. 
But rather than value the relationship, rather than honor his father, this son draws on his father's goodness and provision and dishonors him in the process, wishing him dead, and takes off into freedom to do with his life as he chooses. The prodigal son abused the freedom that he had. He was a son, he was not a slave. He had rights, he had an inheritance, he had a portion from his father. His father loved him very much. His father desired the best for him. His father had equipped him in every way to prepare him for the life that he had. But he took that freedom and he abused his freedom. And he took the abundance from his father and he frittered it away. He had no vision. Or maybe he he had vision, but his vision was women, beautiful women, expensive parties, friends, buying friends who would come and do drugs with him and have a great time with him. That was his vision, to become the most popular kind of a guy. He abused his freedom was the place that he began and went wrong. And I want to most mercifully challenge you or graciously challenge you that there are many more in this place today who are more prodigal than they would ever imagine they are. Coming to church on a Sunday doesn't prove that you're not a prodigal. I made it. I got here, quarter to three. The worship was halfway through, but I made it, so no one can question me. I'm committed to God. I'm not a prodigal. You see, a prodigal nature begins to be revealed over the process and course of time. And you can arrest that at any point in time yourself as you begin to repent and turn to God. See, a prodigal nature is revealed in this. I can't wait. You know, I can't wait until I've got all that God has for me. I can't wait till he's given me my financial blessing. I can't wait till I got my job promotion. The guys, the guys in cell are even praying for my promotion. I can't wait till I found my wife. You know, there's many beautiful women in Katie. I'm going to pick one. But I can't wait till that day I'm going to find my wife. And then I'm gone. And it's never a purposeful, it's never a spoken intent, but it's what happens. You see, what happens the moment people begin to uh, recognize that God has blessed them and God has poured His grace upon them, then they, oh, I must be, I must be, oh, I must be, I've got it. I've got God's blessing me. I've got wisdom. I've got understanding. I've got it. I don't need to listen to these guys no more. I don't need the church. I'm going to go plant my own church. I'm going to go take over the world. I'm going to go plant my own company. I'm going to go do what I want to do. When people do that, it's the final expression of a prodigal heart. Or maybe you might be the other side. You might be the older brother where you look around and you're like, oh, I don't like what's going on. I'm going to hold back from God. God, he's letting me down. He's not answering my prayer. I'm going to hold back from God. God is not providing for me. I'm going to hold back from God. I'm going to grumble as well. I'm going to make sure everybody knows that God's not good to me. I mean, he's good to you. You guys run around. God is good. You crazy Pentecostals. God is good all the time and all the time. But me? No, God's not good to me. And you can tell by my face. My face, it's long. It's somber. I've come to church to be serious today. The usual response to a point like the two I've just made would be, ouch. But rather, let's repent. God has placed us here in Kensington Temple, has he not? Yes? 
God has placed you here in Kensington Temple, has He not? Now, you see, the funniest thing, and this is uh, it's amazing to me, is that when people begin to get offended with God, they begin to get offended with the church. And what's amazing to me is that KT can be a place where you get given more on a daily basis than perhaps you might get in a year anywhere else. And yet, sometimes we enter into this prodigal expression where the grass becomes greener on the other side. Yes, the grass is far greener on the other side where your orphan nature never gets challenged. The grass is far easier on the other side, greener on the other side, where the easy life, the simple blessings, the financial abundance of God is prophesied every single day. But we're here because we want to see you deal with orphan nature and become sons and daughters of God. We're here because we want to see you flourish in the kingdom. We're here because we want to see you experience all that God speaks about in and through your life. You see, the issue of the heart that the prodigal had was that even though he was in his father's house, he was still an orphan. Even though he was in the house of God, well, even in in his own father's house, he was experiencing a separation, a lack of relationship, a lack of engagement with his father. And it would be much better for us when we're in the house of God to deal with our orphan heart before God than to have to come to the pigsty and remember something. I know I'll return to my father's house, the house where God met me, the house where my father called me. When you have an orphan nature, there is a veil which rests on your eyes and filters everything that you can see and colors your perception of all things. When this prodigal son returned to his father, he was returning as a servant. And maybe there's something for us to learn in this. He said, I will go to my father and I will tell him I'll become like one of his servants to receive the blessing that he has for me. And as he returned, his father came and fell on him and he gave him the robes of a son and he gave, put a ring upon his finger and he said, son, you're my son, bring the fatted calf. He has authority again. He has taken his place back in our home. But the son understood something. He was coming back to be a servant because he knew that he had to realign himself to his father's heart and to his father's house. The best place that we can learn to become sons and daughters of God is in a culture like we have here, to steward somebody else's vision, to steward somebody else's heart, passion. In KT, there can be a challenge, very much so, to come to line up to the vision of the house. And it can be received with grace because we know that that's where the blessing is, or it can be received with grumbling and I don't want to be a part of this. I'm talking to you as somebody that's been in the sty. And I said to God when I was in the sty, if there is ever a day when I come back to serve you, and it's probably not going to be for a few years, but I'm just letting you know just in case. If there's ever a day when I come back to serve you, God, I'm going to do it every single day. And bless God, he heard my prayer. (laughs) And every single day, I am fully involved in what we do here in the church. But I understood something. I understood something which has dealt with me so that I can minister to a hundred men about how to become sons of God because as I took on the role of a servant in the house and stood on the door for 18 months and welcomed everyone that came to the church, whether they smiled, whether they kicked me, whether they grumbled, whatever it was, I was there to serve. 
And in the serving, God began to work on my heart because I had a prideful heart. I spoke about that last week. I had a heart that was resistant to the things of God, but he calls us to know him as our father. The place where we best begin to grow as sons and daughters is to take a second run at practicing freedom through serving. Take a second run at practicing the gifts that God has given us through taking ownership of God's house. Perhaps get involved in the serving here in the service. Perhaps get involved in, in one of the other stewarding teams or in the ministry teams or even just join a cell. And when you're in that place, if you really want to deal with your orphan nature, commit to every time the orphan nature presents itself. Who do they think they are? Who do they think they're talking to? Or I'm, I'm free to go sin, I'm just gonna go sin because I enjoy it. Or I'm gonna go do my own thing because I wanna do my own thing. Do business with God. Father, I'm not thinking like a son in this situation. Father, I recognize that there's rebellion. I recognize that there's a challenge in my heart. I recognize that I'm offended. I recognize that there are sinful desires in operation in me. I recognize that this is a false perception that's going on, but I need you to open my eyes so that I can see who you say I am. See, even Jesus did this. It says in Hebrews 5.8, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. If we want the real challenge of how to become sons and daughters of God, is when we face a challenge, not run away from the challenge, but rather say, God, how can I be obedient to your word in this situation which is standing against me? How can I honor you with my eyes when this situation is tempting me? Maybe lust might be tempting you. How can you honor God with your finances when you're looking at your situation and thinking, God, I just need to not tithe today because if I put my tithe here, I'll be able to pay this and pay that off and it'll give me a lot more peace. How do we honor God in that situation? How do we choose to honor God when he says, love and pray for your enemies, when all you want to do is kick them and slap them and tell them how bad they've been to you? In those situations, you practice a growth to becoming sons and daughters of God in an expressive way because you are, in the spiritual sense, already sons and daughters, but in the action of your life, becoming sons and daughters. See, the returning son, when he came back, he had a second run at practicing freedom. And his emphasis now was on wanting to serve. The wisdom that we all would do well to practice is to learn from somebody else's mistakes. Don't, make, don't be so stupid as to say, I need to just make the same mistake for myself to prove that you actually really made a mistake. We do that so, so often. But rather, recognize in the returning son a second chance at practicing freedom. He was lucky enough to have a father to return to who was still alive to do that. We are lucky enough to have a father who will still welcome us back for us to do that, the father who is in heaven. I want the guys upstairs to put up a slide for us that I prepared, and I want to now just take it into a context, a separate context for us. We've considered that we need to prepare a way for God in our hearts. We've considered that we need to know God's grace and God's ways, and that we need to put off orphan thinking. And now I want to put a context in which we begin to practice the spiritual disciplines which move us on to knowing God in a deeper way. And what I've done is label, uh, is come up with four columns. So the column on the left is a descriptive of expressions from the, right, uh, from the left to the right. So you might consider a, an institution, 
And uh, the reason I put institution conservative liberal grace as opposed to Catholic, evangelical, Protestant, da 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 da, is because I'm not here to cause fights. And secondly, is that people in different traditions do have different experiences. Okay, so you have charismatic Catholics as much as spirit-filled Catholics as much as you have spirit-filled Pentecostals. So you might be from a, a, an institutionalized religion example, Catholic, traditional Catholic, traditional Church of England. Their salvation, their doctrine of salvation, in their doctrine, it speaks of being saved by grace plus works, that you need works in order to be saved. And how do you then experience freedom from sin? Well, it's very difficult because you're, you're constantly living short of the glory of God, so it's elusive, you're in near constant guilt. The view of God in that context, though it's not prescribed in doctrine, is very clearly that of a punisher, one who always wants to punish you for, for your failure to live up to the mark. The role of the spiritual disciplines in that context is to repent. They are a means of penance, a means of saying you're sorry. The fruit of growing in the disciplines is that you might get saved, you might not. No gifts of the Spirit, especially when it's a cessationist context. From a conservative tradition, perhaps an evangelical, you would know that you're saved by grace, but you prove it by your works. You think you're a Christian? I've, I've watched you around. I see that you're no Christian. The way you're behaving, you might say that you're saved, but the way you're behaving, you know what I'm talking about. Grace only proved by works. Your freedom from sin, therefore, is dependent on your own capacity, your own capacity to come and repent regularly, your own capacity to make sure you're doing good works. The view of God in that context is an authoritarian. He's demanding good behavior from you. The role of the spiritual disciplines is a means of piety, the, the way that you prove that you're a good Christian. You practice fasting to prove you're a good Christian. You practice prayer to prove you're a good Christian. And the fruit of that is that you do grow in the fruit of the Spirit, but it's because of your own works, and that can lead to pride and self-righteousness. Gifts of the Spirit, well, only for the elite, only for those that need them. Then you have a liberal tradition where they preach cheap grace. We never preach cheap grace here, we preach free grace. But salvation by grace only. The freedom from sin, well, you see, because God is gracious and He's forgiven you all of your sin, well, you know, actually it doesn't really matter what you do because He's already forgiven you. So you don't really need to walk free from sin. It's good, but it's optional because God is good and covers everything. The view of God in that context is a libertarian God, a God who permits sin. God never, ever permits sin. That is completely offensive to his nature. But if you're in a liberal context, you might say God has to forgive my sin because he's a gracious God. The role of the spiritual disciplines, good for the elite, but they're not needed for me. The fruit of the disciplines will lead to a deeper relationship with God. We all can go deeper with God. They expect the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to bring it to the final context, which is very much where we would suggest that we are, or like to suggest increasingly, hallelujah, salvation by grace only, and that grace of God in operation in your life enables you to do good works. It's very different from proving your salvation by your good works. You are enabled to do good works because of your salvation. You're free from sin by affirming the living, uh, by living the work of Christ. You are dead to sin but alive to God. So you're living out the truth of the gospel of grace, that Jesus has taken your sin on the cross, has, has destroyed sin on the cross in you, that you've been united with Christ as you go into baptism, in death, and as you've come up, you're spirit-filled, alive, free. 
and you're living that out on a day-to-day basis, you might be struggling, but you're still seeking to live that out by grace. Now, the view of God in that context is very much the loving Father in which we're speaking about. We want to know the Father. We want the one who walks in grace and truth. You see, over here, there's a lot of truth, but very little grace. In the liberal passage, we have lots of grace, but very little truth. But when we talk of grace, we talk about grace and truth in operation in our life. And that's when we begin to understand the Father for who He truly is. Amen? And then when we begin to take on the spiritual disciplines, things like fasting, things like prayer, the context or the purpose of spiritual disciplines is for you to grow your relationship with that Father. It's not so you can repent of feeling guilty. It's not so you can prove how righteous you are. It's not so that you can appear better than everybody else. It's so that you can know the Father more. And as you know the Father more, there will things appear in your life. Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness in people getting saved, in the gifts of the Spirit, in your knowledge of God. That's what we're talking about, knowing the Father. And the gifts of the Spirit. As you walk in relationship with your Father and ask, they're not only expected, but they are also experienced. As we look forward into the way that the rest of this series is going to look like, what fruit are we going to be bearing? What are we looking to present as we grow more in the Father? Very much at the center of this is a loving Christ-likeness. As we know our Father who is in heaven, we want to become those that can say, like Jesus did, like Jesus said, I can only do what I see my Father doing, that we do the same. That we know the voice of our Father that we see what God is doing, that He can trust us with the gifts. What does that look like practically for us today as we're growing in our knowledge of God? In situations where you would previously have gone crazy, you're now loving. In situations where the circumstances had come against you in the past and you would have cut and run and been panicked and fearful, instead you're peaceful. Where before the temptation to sin would have been so strong in your face, but you would just simply turn away and say, I'm following Jesus. That sin has no control over me anymore. That's the fruit of the deepening relationship with God. And as that develops into a fuller state, it brings you to a place where you too can invite others to know the Father. Jesus who said in John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father who is in heaven. As Jesus' disciples When people see us, the relationship that we have with the Father will be revealed in them seeing God in us, in them seeing and getting a sense of the presence of God when we are around, in them being led to desire God because of the encounter that they've had with us. Our encounter with God, the ongoing lifelong pursuit of God, to know God, to get to know Him deeper, has within it this purpose of bringing a revelation of God to our generation because they need Him. I'm going to come on to a ministry time for a few minutes. I'd like the band to come back. I want us to spend a few minutes with God. I know that many of you have been challenged by what I was speaking about concerning orphans and sons, and we need to do some business with God before we go. I'm sure you wouldn't mind giving five minutes to the Lord to, to spend time doing that. But let's prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts now. Let's just come to the Lord in prayer. There has to be a transformation which happens on the inside of us, a leaving behind of the orphan nature which needs to be driven out and a stepping into sonship. 
and that we understand that the practice of these spiritual disciplines is for the deepening of our relationship with Him. I want you to just start talking to the Lord right now and ask Him to highlight the areas to you by the Spirit, the things that you need to deal with today, that He wants to deal with for you today, with you today. Just start to stir yourself. And I want to talk to you about a specific group of people in this room that have come here today, you've, not, you've come as not being Christians, and you've heard about what I've been saying, and perhaps it seemed a bit intense, but you've heard some truth in there which has spoken to your heart, that you know that there's a God in heaven who you need to know. There's a God in heaven who has a purpose for you. There's a God in heaven who has forgiven your sin in the person of Jesus Christ, and you want to experience that forgiveness. You want to experience that mercy. If that's you here today, while the rest of the people are spending their time with God, I want to speak to you and ask you if you would do a simple thing and pray with me right now, and at the end of this prayer, raise your hand if you want Jesus in your life. So everyone else is spending time with God, hopefully. They're not looking at you. They're not looking around. So if you're here and I'm speaking to you, you're not a Christian and you want Christ, pray with me. Father, we thank you for your gift to us in the person of Jesus and that he has come to take our sin upon the cross. He has come to reveal the Father to us. He's come to bring us into the relationship with the Father. And Lord Jesus, today we ask that you would show us who we are in you, that we would show us the forgiveness that you've prepared for us, that you would show us how to come and draw near to you, that we would have everlasting life. So become the Lord of my life, become my Savior, in Jesus' name. While everyone else is carrying on seeking the Lord, you can uh, indicate to me that you've prayed that prayer by raising your hand boldly into the air. We would love to pray with you. If you're praying that prayer today, you want God to move in your life. Join with me in simply raising your hand to indicate to us that you want God. Fantastic. There's one right in the middle just here. Is there anybody else? Anybody else bold enough to say that they want Jesus in their life today? That's fantastic. For the one, it is awesome. Father, I thank you for this lady, Lord. I pray that you'd bless her, you pour out your grace upon her, your power upon her. Lord, that this would be the first day of the rest of her life as she comes into relationship with you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in her life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Right, yeah, let's give the Lord a praise offering. You got a good... All of us, I want to stand up. We're going to spend a few minutes with God and just pray and minister concerning the thing that I've spoken about today. Let me just have a quick chat with Jono. You start to pray right where you're at. Hey, let's just begin to stir our hearts. You might have heard what I said before about the orphan nature and needing to deal with that orphan nature before God. You might recognize that there has been an offense in your heart that you're just waiting for God to bless you, then you're gonna run, cut and run. I want you to deal with God because I don't want to find you in the pigsty. And it's a real place and it's where you end up if you choose to run away from God. So right where you're at, just start to seek God. And if you recognize that there is a pattern of not knowing your Father, a pattern of walking away from God when things don't go right, a pattern of not experiencing God in His presence, I want you to be intentionally leaning into God as we ask God for more of His presence. And we want to see a, a breakthrough for you spiritually, Lord, right now as you pray and as you seek God, that there'll be a transformation which happens in you. That instead of being offended towards God, there is a peace that comes towards God in your heart. Are you with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I speak, Father, to all those that have responded and are responding to this word today. 
Lord, that there is a need for them to leave behind an orphan nature and there's a need for them to press in to sonship in you. And it has been expressed in constant offense at you. It has been expressed in not believing that you're good. It's been expressed in always questioning and grumbling as opposed to being able to trust in faith. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that you begin to drive out that orphan belief, that orphan thinking, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I speak a spirit of sonship over this congregation of sons and daughters. Lord God, that right to the depth of their being, the Holy Spirit would flow and begin to bring a transformation in the depth of their heart, that they would know your peace, that they would know your love. And Lord, that they would know that you are their father in every situation and that you desire the best for them. Start to pour out your spirit in this place, Lord, as we pray, open the heavens. Start to pour out your presence in our hearts, Lord God, as we seek you this afternoon. In Jesus' name. You who 